Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm here with my co-host, Anna. And today we are talking about planning your garden for canning season. So gardening really is canning's best friend. And there's plenty of canners out there that don't have a garden. But I know for me personally, when I started canning more and more, it became ever more present in my mind that I wanted to start gardening and grow more with the purpose of canning in mind. And lucky for us, my co-host Anna is not only a master preserver, she's also a master gardener. She has an incredible ebook that we'll share with you all about this very topic. And I'm going to be asking her a lot of questions today about how to plan your garden for canning season. So are you all ready to share all the steps we would need to know, Anna? Yes, I'm so excited. I geek out about marrying the two, gardening and preserving, because they just go hand in hand. And I'm excited. Let's do it. Okay, awesome. What do you think is the very first step when someone's thinking to themselves that they're going to start gardening with the purpose of canning at the at the conclusion of the season? What is something that they need to consider or do first? Well, in my mind, I think it's a good idea to start out small. A lot of people want to just go big or go home, right? Maybe it's their first garden and they just want to put in, you know, four 50 foot long rows without having really any idea of what they're doing. So in any type of gardening situation, I always recommend people start small, maybe the front of your house or maybe two or three garden boxes just to get the feel and the hang of gardening. And the routine. I think I finally got the hang of the routine of watering when I stuck to just containers and I had to place them right where I would see them every day because I had such a hard time remembering to go turn the dang faucet on, which sounds stupid, but I struggled (laughs) for a lot of years with just the routine of it. So I think starting small is a great tip. Right. What kind of uh, other considerations are, does a canner need to think about before they get started with planning their garden for canning season? I think it's a good idea to look in your pantry as well and realize maybe what you're purchasing that you could possibly grow and preserve yourself. Really just think about what you want to preserve. Don't preserve a bunch of stuff that you won't eat. We've talked about that in other episodes, but it definitely applies to the time and energy and money that goes into starting a garden. You'll want to make sure that you're growing things that you're actually going to eat. And maybe not just you're going to eat, but most of the people under your roof, I would say. (laughs) Right, right, right. I'm sure that there's things that you and I like love, but our family doesn't necessarily want to eat. 
it gets to be it's a downer if you if you bother to can something and and nobody wants to eat it that's yeah. that's, not, that's not good for your uh for your motivation so planning ahead by taking stock of your pantry is that what you're saying yeah exactly you know do a thorough combing over of your pantry and just see what you know what you're actually buying and using okay awesome so what time of year do you get started planning your garden for canning season? So I live in zone 5B, which means that my growing season is pretty short if I choose not to use any um, extenders like a high tunnel or low tunnel uh, greenhouse. So really my growing season is from March to about October, maybe the beginning of November, depending on when it decides to frost or things like that. So I start planning about this time, January, middle of January, I start drawing out my garden, start really assessing what I canned last year that I don't need to can this year Mm -hmm. and, you know, get excited about varieties that I want to try or grow this year. So yeah, for me in zone 5B in North America, I'm talking about, yeah, January, February is really crunch time. And then I usually start seeds the middle of February, beginning of March. Okay. So you start your seeds and we have another episode about saving seeds that you guys can check out. So Anna is starting seeds that she has saved and probably purchased a few too, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's the next, what's the next step deciding what you pair next to what? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a digital course where I go through all of this, but I think it's really important that you understand the spacing that's needed for each plant. Maybe some, they're called trap crops, which are basically like flowers that you put as end caps on the rows of your garden to encourage, you know, some of those pests that might come and eat your stuff. Mm. There's some of that planning that goes into it. What can you tell us about plant spacing? Is that important? (laughs) Yeah. And there's definitely like a lot of people that really like to crowd their plants. Mm -hmm. But as your plants grow throughout the season, they expand and their root systems expand. And while it looks good on Instagram, you'll notice a reduction in your plants bearing fruit or coming to full size if you crowd them too much. Mm. So there's a plant spacing guide, obviously like different plants need different sizes and you can use pots for that. You can use in ground, you can use garden boxes, but just make sure that as you're, you know, planning it out that you're, that you're taking the appropriate steps for that. There's a really great book called Square Foot Gardening by a man named Mel I can't remember his last name, but just look up square foot gardening. And he talks a lot about the importance of spacing. That's awesome. That's a great resource. And we'll link that book and Anna's ebook and her course all in the show notes. So once you've figured out how you're going to space your garden out, what are some other considerations you need to think about before you put seeds in the ground? Like can everything be in the in bright sun or or how do you group your plants, I guess, in sun versus partial sun? Yeah. So 
before anybody does a garden or chooses their gardening site, it's a good idea to get an idea of like how much sun is actually in that area. There's a website and I'll link it in my show notes that really you can put in your address and it will tell you, you know, about how much sun you'll get in different parts of your yard, I believe. There's also a little, uh, it looks like a flower, but it's you stick it in a certain part of your yard. I think it's available at Home Depot and you connect it somehow, I think to your phone and it gives you a reading of how much light is in a certain area. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I find, so in my yard, I have a ton of mature fruit trees. And so I had, I tried two different garden spots before I decided to take the grass up in my front yard and use my front yard as a garden because there was just so much better sunlight out front than in my backyard. Uh, And there's lots of people that say, oh, I know what house you're in. You have this cool garden in the front. And, And that's true. I just, you just have to go where the sunlight is. You know, there are times when there's like too much sunlight, you know, they do need a little bit of rest either in the morning or at night or in the afternoon. So it, it is a little bit finicky that way Uh, with your garden. You do need to, to pick an appropriate spot. And then the second thing I would say to people is to get a soil sample done uh, to tell you what's in your soil, because you don't want to add just any old amendment or compost or whatever, if you don't need it or, Maybe you have, like in my area, I had an abundance of phosphorus. Mm -hmm. It's just the area that I live in. And so when I'm using an organic fertilizer or whatever, I make sure that there's no phosphorus in there because I've already got an abundance of phosphorus. Oh, wow. So where would a person get their soil tested? They have really simple soil test kits from, you know, any of your garden centers. It's a little capsule and you mix it in with some of the water that you've mixed with your soil, or you can do a soil test in a lab, usually through um, your local garden uh, extension office. We talk about extension offices a lot, but they're are lots uh, around the country that aren't, you know, necessarily through an extension office, but you can look online and see about a soil sample test and they can send you the information for that. But it's usually around 40 to $60 to do that type of thing. And they usually do a complete mock-up of your soil. Well, that might make someone think twice, but the cost of buying amendments that are unnecessary or potentially harmful would surely be greater than the cost of the, of the soil sample. And that would inform you for unlimited seasons going forward and would help increase your yield. Right. I mean, there are people like I have a friend and she was like, oh, I keep planting tomatoes in this certain spot in my garden. And I have no idea, but they just, you know, the, the plants just do terribly. And I was like, well, have you ever tested your soil or do you know how much sunlight they get? And she was like, oh no, I've never, I've never thought to do that, but it's a really simple. And like you said, it saves you time and energy and money. Yeah. That's a great tip. So plants need sun, they need soil. What else do they need? What else does a gardener need to think about before they get started or put seeds in the ground? Availability of water is super important. If you 
are hand watering everything, you could possibly miss a day, you might overwater in certain sections. And plants do really well with consistent watering. And I don't mean it has to be every single day. At the beginning of my gardening season, I water once a week. And then when it gets up to, you know, 80, 90 degree days, then I might do it every three days. And then 100 degree temps, I'm watering every single day. Mm -hmm. But having a drip system, a low sprinkler system, just Uh whatever you can do to water your plants, just make sure it's consistent and available. So don't put your garden in. This is a mistake I made. I put the garden in our last house behind the shed as far away from the house as possible. And I just was never up there enough watering, getting things taken care of because it was like out of sight, out of mind. So I always recommend people put their garden in a prominent place where they can see it and where they can access it easily. That's a great tip. Do you use automatic watering systems? Yeah, I have a drip system that I set up uh, for my front yard with a timer on it. And I think that that helped me be really, really successful because I didn't have to remember to water. I'm, you know, I am a busy mom. I have kids and I'm running around and sometimes you just forget to water and uh, having that on a timer is really, really helpful. I also ran a school garden for 10 years and having a watering system on a timer was such a huge saving grace for that garden. (laughs) It was probably critical. I mean, how could you, how could you do it without it? It probably would have been really hard. And now a quick word about our courses. Want to learn more about canning? Check out our video courses. Anna's beginner and advanced canning courses are available at smarthomecanning.com. And Jenny teaches a variety of courses, including the super fast steam canning course at startcanning.com. Use code POD25 to get 25% off those courses today. That's code POD25 to get 25% off today. What about you, Jenny? What is your garden like at your house? Do you hand water? Do you have a drip? Or what do you what do you do? So I uh, I don't have what would be considered a true garden. I uh, like many people during COVID with more free time. I I really got good at container gardening. I became a professional at house plants at that time. But now I'm just I'm really limited by the fact that I don't have any fences. <laughs> I have up until this point have had a lot of shade mm. from really big pine trees. And I have, yeah, no fences. I have a lot of things that are going to eat whatever I grow. So I think going forward, we are going to plan to cut some of these trees down this season. And then I'll have a better chance of <laughs> of having direct sun. But I know my personality, I will lean heavily on an automatic watering system. But once I, if I have a fence put up, then I'll have a, a, a chance. But right now I just, I don't. We've got rabbits and deer and every creature in between, so... Yeah, the automatic is is critical though. Yeah. So, okay, here, here's a different question. Do you plan like I've seen images on Pinterest and stuff for like plan a salsa garden and people are planting the peppers and the tomatoes and the garlic and the onions all together or like with that one recipe in mind? Do you do that or do you just plan how how do you plan? Yeah. So right now I have three 40 foot long rows and 
I, what I do is in the late winters, I decide what I want to plant and then I rotate it because, you know, I've been growing my tomatoes in the same spot and I need to move them to a different spot. In my garden, I mostly, I mostly do a spring crop and then I do my tomatoes and I usually plant some garlic, some onions, And then I do, I actually do my cilantro in the fall Mm. because it seems to grow better into like that early winter. They love that cold weather. Wow. If I try to do it in the spring, it usually lasts until maybe the beginning of June and then it starts to bolt. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I usually just plan for what I want to can or eat during the summer and then, uh, and go from there. So let's talk about specific varieties. Yes, yes, yes. And what you should look for for specific, specifically preserving. Great. So for me, I love canning. I mean, tomatoes are like the darling of every garden. Everybody yeah. looks forward to that first ripe tomato of the season for, right, like a BLT or whatever. Mm-hmm. I in my garden I have a couple of slicing tomato varieties. Mm-hmm. I really love Dr. Waichi. They're like a really huge delicious yellow tomato, really good flavor. And then the other tomatoes I have are going to be ones that are specific for canning. So these are going to be varieties like Romas or Amish paste that have less seeds, but more flesh. Mm. And it makes it easier to, to can them into sauces. Mm-hmm. I usually have like one cherry tomato variety, whether that's a sun gold or a pear or something just for snacking when I'm out in the garden. Mm. But I think it's really important that you find some good canning tomatoes for your area. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be called paste tomatoes. Okay, very good. I think it was our guest, Melanie Jukes from the Cooperative Extension, said that she gets the most questions about tomatoes and choosing a variety to grow that will give you the result that you want is the first step in success, I think. Yeah. And when I was doing canned tomatoes in the past, I would only use paste tomatoes, but I also really enjoy a good slicing tomato for my diced tomatoes because Mm. the flavor is just so good. Sometimes in those paste tomatoes, the flavor just isn't as good as a slicing tomato. That's a great tip. So I can the tomatoes in their juice. And you can the tomatoes in their juice. That's awesome. That's a great tip. What other tips like that do you have that are specific to varieties? Yeah, so I, I can a ton of dill pickles and sweet pickle relish. And so the varieties of cucumbers you want to use are called pickling cucumbers. They're going to be different than your slicing cucumbers. They just have a thicker skin. They're smaller usually. You want to pick them smaller than your regular slicing cucumbers, and they're perfect for canning. Mm, Okay. I think that is actually the canned product that lets the most people down because they are not choosing the right cucumber variety. I feel like so many people have said to me like, 
I made pickles and they were uh, like, they just weren't amazing. And I think it's because they're choosing the slicing variety, which will give you a softer pickle. You want like those weird, nubby, small pickling cucumbers that keep their crisp. Yeah. And they're a little bit spiny on the uh, outside, but they're so good. They're just awesome. But you do have to have quite a few plants of pickling cucumbers. This is just an FYI. You have to have quite a few plants because pickling cucumbers don't all ripen at once. You might get a handful one day, a handful another day, you know, so having a lot of plants really makes a difference. Okay. That's really a good tip. What else can you share with our listeners? This is all goal, Anna. Uh, Well, in my area, I'm finding it harder and harder to find people that are growing pickling cucumbers because they are more labor intensive. You do have to have more plants. You're not exactly getting them all at one time. So if you can grow them at home and be in charge of, you know, picking them at the ripeness that you want, it's really, really good. I also love planting beets because I love pickled beets. And with those, it doesn't matter too much the variety. You can use all different kinds, but I love the the really dark Detroit reds or whatever. Those are my favorite variety. And are beets pretty easy to grow? Yeah. Yeah. You just sprinkle them in the ground in the spring and then harvest them in the fall. Uh, for some reason, though, I cannot get them to grow at my house. I could grow them at the school, but for some reason, I don't know, uh, I can't seem to get them to grow at my house. Fascinating. I'm sure they're easy for everyone else to grow. <laughs> no, I doubt it. I doubt that. I just wondered if they were particularly tricky or not. Great. Do you have any other t- quick pearls of wisdom? If you're choosing fruit trees, try to choose fruit trees that are good for canning as well. The one that comes to mind is like a white peach. They don't have canning times recommended for a white peach. So to clarify, white peaches are not as acidic as their other peach counterparts. So that wouldn't be a variety that we would recommend planting if your purpose is canning them. Because there's not updated recipes for properly acidifying those very, or those more alkaline, that particular variety of more alkaline peaches. So other than white peaches, most other orchard fruits probably would be a great choice if they uh, are well suited for your area and have an appropriate yield. Right. Yeah. And the only other thing I would say is that if you're choosing to plant some fruit trees, look at when the fruit trees will be ripe and try and stagger those times because you don't want to have like three fruit trees becoming ripe all at the same time and you get overwhelmed. Yeah, that's a nightmare. With fruit. (laughs) That is a nightmare. So at your local nursery, I had a friend, uh, the nursery guy uh, said, you don't want that variety. That's going to be ready at the same time as your apples. Do this a little bit earlier variety, like two weeks earlier. So that's really important. A really knowledgeable nursery owner or somebody working at the nursery can be invaluable. Uh, That's a great tip. The only reason I know that tip is because I've made that mistake before. Uh, You can grow 
cabbage for sauerkraut. You can grow corn to do canned or frozen corn or dehydrated or freeze-dried corn is really good. Berries are always amazing. One thing that I thought uh, helped me was starting container gardening with herbs. And you're not necessarily canning jars of herbs, but just having yeah. the rosemary to choose from, that was like one small step I could take towards gardening with canning in mind. And even if you just get one container of herbs this season or w- just one you know, batch of a few herbs, that can be a step in the right direction, I think. Absolutely. I mean, herbs are one of my very favorite things to grow and then dehydrate because the spices you get at the grocery store, you Uh, never know how old they are. Well, you know, they're a million years old. (laughs) I mean, they're so old. Right. And they do reduce in quality over time. So having herbs that are new are great. Okay. Anna, that has been so valuable. Tell us about your ebook and where our listeners can find it and the course that talks all about this topic. Yeah, so I just finished the advanced canning course and it includes pressure canning, pantry planning, and then the one that we talked about today is gardening specifically for preserving. And you can find that on my website, smarthomecanning.com. And you can either purchase the whole course altogether, or it's also broken down into specific mini courses as well. Ah, amazing. Okay. So listeners head to smarthomecanning.com to grab her ebook all about this and or dive into the whole video course. That's all about canning, planning your garden for canning, and all the advanced canning techniques therein, including pressure canning. Thank you, Anna, for sharing your expertise on this episode. I feel I feel so inspired and I hope our listeners do too. We'll see you guys next time. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectly preserved podcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.